Hi friends, you are listening to episode 66 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hello everybody, I'm so excited that you came back. We have so much more to explore, especially now that we're into Daniel chapter 8. We just finished last episode, Daniel 7, talking about these really unique prophecies in Daniel. We're continuing on talking about this shaggy unicorn goat and a ram. And the conversation that we had was really deep, really amazing. I know you're going to enjoy it. A lot of people have a lot of confusion about prophecy, especially the prophecy in Daniel. And I hope that this conversation here helps you to see more than anything else that what prophecy is here to help you do is not to predict the future, but to always see a God who will never leave you, never forsake you. He loves you and he wants to tell you even now by giving you a glimpse of things to come, how much he loves you. And I can't wait for you to hear this. But before we go on, I want to make sure that you know there are resources available to you. If you go to thebiblelab.com and go to this episode on the episodes page, you will find that there is a study guide that you can go along, especially as we're looking at some of these details and the language and stuff like that. It's going to be extremely helpful for you to be able to actually see it on the printed page. So make sure you go to our website, thebiblelab.com get your study guide and sit back relax and get ready to learn more about the loving character of god welcome to the bible lab here we go number one most of the people in this room have more troubling news than happy news to share Yes, no, or maybe. The people have more troubling news than happy news to share. Oh, look at this pessimistic crowd. Because I'm seeing about 60% yes. And I'm seeing, uh, wow, about 20% no and 20% maybe. I like to know what those maybes are because that's kind of the swing vote there, big time. So you think more people have troubling news here than happy news. I didn't use the word good news because then you would have gotten all religious on me and said, oh, we always have good news to share. (laughs) But isn't it funny, uh, even though we have good news, what what do we share on Facebook? Um, I'm going to move on because already today I'm going to get myself in trouble. There's several ways I know how I can. I just don't know which way I'm going to get myself in trouble today because chapter 8, it's a dangerous chap- chapter, especially for those of you here in Loma Linda. And if you belong to the, uh, the local church here, there's a chance you can get yourself in trouble today. So I'm going to move on to number two. Jesus is coming within my lifetime. Jesus is coming within my lifetime. This is exactly what I expected. This is a world record for the Bible Lab in that we have about 65% maybes. And we have about... We have about 30% yes and about 5% no. And no, I don't know if that math adds up. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you said maybe. And what maybe tells me, and don't get mad, I'll give you extra reasons to get mad at me later on today. So don't get mad at this, but the maybe means no. I know you're shaking your head saying no. Go ahead and get mad. Because if you believe Jesus is coming with your lifetime, you're going to say yes. 
right? I hope, I hope, but we don't know, we don't. Give me time, give me time today. Because you realize my job is not to have the answers. My job, I'm, I'm the wood spoon in the pot, I'm the agitator. And boy, am I going to stir the pot today. So go ahead, start getting agitated. Because number three says, if, all you maybes, listen up, because I gave you an out here. If he hasn't come by then, that then means your lifetime. If he hasn't come by then, I would love for God to give me a vision of what the world would be like 400 years after I die. <laughs> now I have no idea what this means, but I'm seeing 90% no, 10% yes, and I think I see one maybe. Yeah. You don't want to know. Why? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. 400 years from now, you're dust. You're worm food, that's right. You're gone. 400 years from now, they won't even remember your name unless you did something really bad or extremely good. Yeah. Number four, Satan can give leaders special powers. Satan can give leaders special power. Look at this. Wow. I'm seeing a sea of green. So it looks like 99%, well, I've got to go back. About 97% yes, and about 2% no, and 1% maybe. Okay, we're going to look today in chapter 8, because we see in this symbolism of a very unique looking ram and a unicorn goat that then gets all confused with how many horns it should have. Um, we're going to see throughout this chapter, Daniel chapter 8, we're going to see some times where it seems like the Bible is saying that Satan does give superpowers or special powers or special abilities to his followers as well. So we're going to take a look at that. That'll be really, uh, really interesting when we get to that. Number five, here we go, last one. God wants us to know the precise time of his second coming. Whoa, okay, once again, we see a vast majority. I see 95% no, and I see about 3% yes and 2% maybe. Okay. We are going to get in so big trouble today. <laughs> We've got a lot to cover today. Has, have any of you... Before preparation for this week, have any of you spent much time in Daniel chapter 8? Raise your hand if you spent some time in Daniel 8 trying to understand what Daniel 8. Yeah, I've got a lot of hands, a lot of hands, of course, because this group predominantly, and, and you know, there's a mix here. Just understand, especially with your comments, understand there are people who are not Seventh-day Adventists here. Um, and some people that have no idea why this would be a troublesome chapter today. Um, but many of you uh, came into the church, perhaps, let me just see a show of hands. How many of you came in to the church because of a Daniel and Revelation seminar? Or that was one of the first things that, that was your introduction. How many of you have gone to a Daniel and Revelation seminar? There we go, sea of hands, okay. Almost all of you, okay. So a lot of things were said in that that we're gonna have to take a look at today. The beautiful thing is 
The Bible is a living document that you can continue to learn new things, and I think we're going to learn some new things today in a chapter that many of you perhaps thought you understood and, and that you knew. But that's kind of part of the Bible lab, right? As we look at it and we see in the language, the context, the culture, things we never saw before, and it always ends with the exact same theme. God is more loving than we ever thought he was before. And that's what you're going to see today. So that's a little warning today. But let's take a look at chapter 8. We're going to chop it up into two different sections today. The first half and the last half. So we're going to start with the first 14 verses. You can read in your own Bible or your own Bible app, or if you're biblically uh, impaired, you can look at the screen up in front, which uh, NIV reads in this way, Daniel 8, 1 through 14. It says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In other words, this is his second vision. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue Uh, could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. Verse 7, I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. Verse 8, the goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. By the way, beautiful land is another name that the Jews would call uh, Palestine, the area in which was the promised land. We call it promised land. They call it beautiful land. Verse 10, it grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Verse 12, because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. Verse 14, he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. All right. So I've got one question here I want to go through, and one question that's not on 
the study guide, but I'm going to start with the one uh, that's right here. What have you been told that this vision is about, and what do you think it's all about? I want, I want you to ponder this. What have you heard that Daniel 8, this ram and, and goat vision, is all about, and what do you think it's all about? And while you're pondering that, the question that I don't have here, and so go ahead and, and raise your hand for the microphones or, or your comment or question cards. I want to ask you another question, and this one's a little bit easier. When we started this COVID shutdown, started the COVID shutdown, we were told it would be 14 mornings and evenings, <laughs> right? And then would the virus be cleansed, <laughs> right? Two weeks. So we shut the church down. We shut a lot of things down because we knew it would be two weeks. But how, how long was it? <laughs> it felt like two years, yeah. Uh, but about a year and a half, right? A little over a year and a half. And we're still not done yet, but praise God the church is back open and we're meeting with the Bible Lab again. Huge amen there. Let me just ask you this, and this is an easy question, so get your comments cards ready because we only have a couple of comments I can take from this because of time. Had you known, had God given you a vision and you knew it would be over a year and a half that the church would be closed, how would that have changed what you did during that year and a half? Because we never knew when it was going to open, right? It was just this never-ending maybe next month, maybe next month, maybe, maybe sometime soon, okay? So what might you have done differently had you known that church would be closed down for as long as it was? How would you have responded differently? Go ahead, raise a comment card, raise a question card, and you can respond to this one or uh, the other question written down. Don't be shy. Randy said, off mic, he would have bought more toilet paper. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Who knew that the kindest thing that you could do for your neighbor is to bring the, knock on their door and hold out a roll of toilet paper to them? <laughs> Two years ago, had I done that, my neighbor would have called the cops <laughs> and the psych unit to say, what is wrong with this guy? And then the most loving thing I could have possibly done is give him some bathroom facial tissue. Is that the nice way of saying it? Good. All right, back here, purple microphone. I think that uh, there was a lot of delay in stepping up by individual churches throughout the country yes. to provide resources to be able to continue worship. Yeah. Um, if we had known right away it was going to take that long, I think there would have been a lot more energy put into developing those programs. I agree. I, I agree. Because it's almost as if we just said, hey, look, it's just a short break. You know, it's a good time for us to take a break. Some people enjoyed the break. Some people never did anything online. Uh, there are some churches that just said, watch Loma Linda's service. Um, <laughs> And what they're paying for right now is people said, oh, I like that service. I like the program. I like being able to watch it in my pajamas, my slippers, and have my breakfast while I'm going through church. And those churches are not getting those people back. They're not coming back because we trained them for a year and a half. You don't need church. 
that this is church. Watch a screen. And we untrain them of what church really is. Church is not a program. Church is a community. And church is a greater purpose. Because when you guys come, what I see you do at the Bible lab is you're caring for each other. The conversations I've had and heard just this morning are people checking in. Are you doing okay? Because there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of success going on. If you don't have a community to join with you and raise your, raise your arms for all of those situations, you don't have church. You have a program. You have entertainment. You have something that appeases your guilt that you get the sticker star for attendance that week. But God doesn't keep a poster board with sticker stars in heaven about your church attendance. And so I agree. I, I, think, I, I think we lost quite a bit. Is there another microphone I'm missing before I move on? Over here, Marina. And she will have the red microphone over here. I teach American Sign Language at high school level. And before the pandemic, I was not a techie. So I would have bowed down on my knees and said, God, I need some tech experience. Somebody send somebody. <laughs> because it just killed me yeah. to have to learn all the stuff on a computer yeah. and teach the kids American Sign Language yeah. and deal with all of their, um, their psychological issues. Yeah. And you know what? We still have the fallout from that today. Huge. Yeah. Huge fallout. They cannot learn the way they used to. No. No, we, we as, as a society have changed just our social construct and, and how we do things, how we get things done. I agree. Now, I want to take a step back. I went through a bunch of little details here, and I want you to see what commentators say these symbols mean, because a lot of times we've applied different things to them. And I, I, j I just want to clear up to make sure we understand what this first half of chapter 8 means before we get to the second half, because the second half really focuses most of its attention on one element of what we just read through, and it's this little growth that comes off of one of the four horns that becomes a significant horn, and so the second half of chapter 8 really focuses on that growth off that horn. And so I want us to take a step back, take a look at what are the things that we could have just read past and, and not understood. And so some of this you'll see when we're reading verses um, 15 to 27, you're going to see some of this is interpreted within the text. For example, so what country does the ram stand for? And what country does the goat stand for? These are actually within the second half of the text. This is not just a commentator later on saying, I think we should apply this country and this kingdom to this, this beast in the vision. It's actually in the vision you'll see coming up. But uh, really quickly, just want to give you some context. Now remember, even though we're in chapter 8, chronologically from chapter 7 through 12, it's, it's an overlay of chapters 1 through 6. Chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel, all the, all the stories uh, starts out from them being in captivity, going through the fiery furnace, and, and just before that, the vision of the image, and uh, goes all, all the way through to Daniel and the lion's den. And then at chapter 7, it actually even changes the person. Daniel had written third person in all these stories, and now starting chapter 7, it's I. You'll see Daniel say I, because he's sharing the visions he got. And so last week we had gone way back. This week uh, we're going to the third year of King Belshazzar. So this is his last year. 
Belshazzar's last year because he only served, they think about two and a half years. So this happens at the beginning of his third year of reign, how they would count back, back then. They would count it your third year if you had made it through two years and you start January 1 on the job. This is your third year. And so it's at the beginning of Belshazzar's third year. He doesn't make it through that entire third year. So the question is, why would God give a vision at this time? Well, those of you that remember, when did he give the vision of chapter 7? You're right, Randy, the first year. Isn't it funny how all the visions, even the ones that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar in this handwriting on the wall to Belshazzar, he always communicates most loudly and most often during the times of transition. Do you notice this? All throughout Daniel, every single time God speaks and, and he moves among anybody and gives a vision or a message to it, it's always during the times of transition, which tells me something. We like God to move when we're kind of in a good space, like we finally have everything balanced, we, have, we finally have work figured out, we finally have the kids who are, they're manageable, kind of, and we got everything just kind of like, okay, I can add one more thing to my plate. And now God now I'm going to focus my time on you. Now, now I have balance. Now it's time, God, for you to move and to speak to me, and you can show me visions of what I need to know. You realize those aren't the times when God moves. He tends to move during the times of turmoil and transition, the times when you're the most afraid, the most scared, the most uncertain about what the future will hold. Those are the times, and Many of you, you, you have a few decades of experience out here, and you can concur in your own lifetime, the times when God made the, the, the biggest moves in your life and the times he was loudest in your life were not at the times that when you were balanced. Predominantly, it's been during the times when you felt like, I, I feel like I'm, you know when you're leaning back on a chair and you get to that place to where well, you don't know whether you're going to fall back or be able to catch yourself. It's that feeling, that moment of life when God moves and he speaks. And so, once again, we mentioned this earlier in this series, it's the times of discomfort that God can use more than the times of comfort. So it's a very uncomfortable time because, okay, Daniel's like, I just am getting used to this leader. I've, in many ways, been demoted because the kingdoms that came, the kings that came before Belshazzar just underutilized me, so much so that it takes Nebuchadnezzar's wife to come in and remind Belshazzar that there is a man named Daniel who is connected to God, who probably wrote the handwriting on the wall. So he's kind of in this position of, am I still valuable? Is God still going to use me? And it's at this time that, uh, that God gives Daniel himself a vision. This is just before the handwriting on the wall. So you also have to ask the question, why do you think just before the handwriting on the wall incident, where Daniel has to come in and interpret this strange cryptic writing that was done, you know, by a non-human hand on the wall, why, why would God give Daniel a vision just before that? And what does that say about God? 
Are you getting a pattern here? God cares so much about Daniel, and he cares so much about humanity, and here you're going to see today, he, he cares so much about people who aren't even born yet that he wants to make sure and tell you it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Leadership is going to change. It's going to get really, uh, that the battles are, are, are just going to become overwhelming, but you're going to be okay. And so once again, in this time, it's in this, it's in this environment that God says, okay, you don't know about what I'm going to do with entering on the wall here in a minute. But I want to tell you what's to come so that during this transition, you don't freak out. I want you to relax and know that even though it looks like chaos, like everything's out of control, I got this. Okay, I've got this. So the reason why God gives this vision is to tell Daniel, right now, relax. I've got this. It's about to get pretty rocky, but I've got this. That's the first reason. In the second half, you're going to see the second reason. It's a huge reason, and it's not for Daniel. That's why he tells Daniel to seal it up. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. So then you have this location. He's transported in vision, not physically. Some people have guessed he was, he was actually there working. He wasn't there because the verses uh, later on say that it took him a couple of days of being sick, and then he got up and he went back to his work in the palace. Well, it's 220 miles to Susa from Babylon, and uh, they didn't have modes of transportation that we have today. And so in order for him to get up in a couple of days, be, be sick in bed and get up in a couple of days, it means he was still in Babylon. But he has this vision of Susa. Why Susa? Well, many commentators look at this and say, well, this is the place that the next capital is set up. So God's actually taking him to the place of the next kingdom's capital, Susa, right across from the Ulai Canal, which many people believe that's the very waterway that the Persians came down in their big ships, bringing their troops. And that's how they were able to so quickly attack the Babylonian kingdom and win. It's a huge waterway back then. It's not so much now. It's much more narrow now. But it would be like the length of three football fields wide, 900 feet wide canal. So it was a major trade thoroughfare right there at Susa. So God takes him to the place that will be the next capital and says something's going to happen. A new kingdom is, is going to overthrow the existing kingdom. So he takes him there to that place. Then he shows him the current leadership, the ram with the uneven horns. And even though one horn came up later, it's bigger. And once again, if you go back and remember, prophecy is, is overlays. So if you remember the previous vision of these beasts coming out of the sea, there was a bear that was raised up on one side. It was bigger on one side than, than the other. Um, this is that same kingdom. It's the Medo-Persians. It's this combined kingdom that one, even though it came up later, the Persians, it's stronger, it's bigger. And so he sees this ram who's just north, south, east. It's, it's taking over all the territory and nothing could stop it until this unicorn goat shows up on the scene. I call him the unigoat. The unigoat's there, and he's traveling so fast, his feet aren't even touching the ground. And this lines up directly with this, this weird uh, leopard, four-headed leopard in chapter 7 that has wings, four wings. 
and it just flies super fast. Well, this unigoat is so fast, it looks like the feet aren't even touching the ground. It's like he's flying. And so then, unfortunately, this unicorn becomes a quadcorn because that prominent horn is broken off. And what many people believe is, if you look at history of the Greeks, because this represents the Greek empire, is you had Alexander the Great, who was unstoppable, just unstoppable. And then, without human hands, this horn is destroyed. Alexander the Great did not die in battle. He died of an illness. He died of a sickness, a mysterious sickness, that they couldn't figure out how did he get sick, how did he die. And so many people look at this and see a, a, a spiritual intervention here of, of God intervening, breaking off that horn. And so we go from Alexander the Great to four leaders who are not so great. And uh, you have their names right here on your study guide of Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. And, uh, and then out of one of these four horns, you have another horn. Now, verses 15 to 26 spend most of the time talk about this little horn. So we're going to get to him later. Relax. We're going to get there. And then the ultimate question, the question that you've been asked every time you're on a road trip and your kids are in the backseat of the car. How long is this going to take? How much longer? The same question we asked today. How much longer until soon is now? Because uh, if Jesus is coming soon, when is soon going to be now? And so someone there, this is interesting. Daniel isn't the one to ask the question. Who asked the question? Someone standing there. Someone from God's kingdom. It's an angel. Is there and said, how long? Because they're watching it too. Can you imagine? It's, this is the cool thing. It's not just Daniel watching this vision. God's given this vision and his angels are watching too. The heavenly hosts are watching God create this visual. And this crowd standing around Ask God the question Daniel wonders. So how long? How long is it going to be? And in verse, uh, in verse 14, it says, 2,300 mornings and evenings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. So why do you think God went to the trouble of giving Daniel this vision? Why do you think he went to the trouble of giving this vision? Any guess is a correct guess. I'm finding that Daniel's too intimidating to you guys. It doesn't have to be. It's really, it, by the end of today, you'll see this is pretty simple stuff because God wants you to understand him. He doesn't want you to know certain things, but he definitely wants you to know him. And so it's pretty, it's pretty good. Over here. Yes, sir. Blue mic. Is it for Daniel or is it for us so it can be written in the book of Daniel? What do you guys think? Take out your yes and no cards. No baby cards on this. No baby cards. Just yes and no. So ask your question again. Is this for Daniel or is this for us today? Yes or no? Raise up your cards. Is this, is this vision for Daniel or is this vision for us today? Yes means, oh, that's a good question. I'm not a smart person. I only play one on TV. Um, 
Let's take that part by part. Thank you. You're going to heaven. Um, yes or no? Is this vision for Daniel? Okay. Let me ask this question. You can you can vote the same way twice. Don't don't worry. You can, I'm making up the rules as we go. Why can't you? Is this vision for us today? Okay. This is where I'm going to get us really in trouble. I'm going to get us really in trouble. Because yes, there are parts of this that are for us today. But none of the details are for us today. There's a message for us today, but it has absolutely nothing to do with when the 2300 days would come to an end. That was for a different people. But there's still a message for us today. Remember, all scripture you read with trifocals. What did it mean to the writer, the person who received the word? Second layer of the trifocals is what did it mean to the people it was written for, the people group? And lastly, what is transferable to us today? That's the, that's the highest lens there. So let's look at what was for Daniel, let's look at what was for the people, and let's look at what's in it for us today. So let's look at verse 15 through 27. It says, While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel. Tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. Everyone says, <gasps> verse 18, while he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep. In other words, he fainted uh, with my face to the ground. Then he touched me, and I raised to my feet. Verse 19, he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat, I love his term for the unigoat. The, well, it, now it's just a shaggy goat with too many horns. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of the reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but, will, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Verse 26, the vision of the evenings and mornings that's been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. 
I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. All right, we're going to go over here to the purple mic. Terry. You know, there's, there's so many things that we don't know from Bible times. There are many prophecies that were given that we have no record of, yeah. many, many writings. So I asked the question, why do we have this? Yes. And the second, I'm, part of the reason I think is because God wants to keep us guessing. You know, we think we know it all, but we don't. <laughs> but really, one of the things that, that I love about what you're doing here is that in, in, the, in the Adventist culture that I was raised, there was almost no attention given to how this impacted Daniel or what was going on in the time. And I think that we've, we've missed so much by not doing that. So, yeah, you know, I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And that's, that's what we want to spend the rest of our time doing here is saying, look, you can't understand how it impacts us today if you never spend time understanding how it impacted them at that time. Because once you understand the impact, the initial impact, then you, you can understand the shockwave that hits us today. But unless you understand the impact at that time, you can actually misread the shockwave and actually apply it to things that theologically are irresponsible to apply it to. Had another microphone over here? Yes? Did we? No? Good. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, verse 15, there's one that looked like a man. Once again, same description that's used in the previous chapters where it's like, well, it wasn't a man. We can tell it wasn't a man, but it kind of looked like a man. In other words, it was in human form. So it's really cool. We have, you know, from Genesis chapter 2, God making man out of his own image. So, of course, there's going to be a reflection here because we're made... It, it, this didn't look like a man. We look like that, in other words. So this is the, this is the maker, the, the, the model. So in verse 16, this humanoid, which we all believe and all commentators believe, well, this is God himself. This is God himself because he's commanding. And the one who has the ability to command is the guy in charge. So the whole guy in charge, the one who actually created the vision, says... Tell the man. In other words, literally, the Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Aramaic words that are used here is the same that are used for um, uh, the human. It's the bar Adam, from the earth. Uh, tell, tell this human from the earth what all this means. And then, uh, and then we have this very, it has been confusing to many people, verse 17, the vision concerns the time of the end. You have to be really careful, especially with prophecy, that you read all the context of what are they talking about? The end of what? The end of time? Well, it couldn't possibly be because they didn't view time the same way that we view it today. We view timelines and there's an end. There's a point that, boom, time is over. But they believe in cyclical time. So the end of what? They believed in eras. And so if you look at the three other texts that talk about it here, you see it's talking about, well, when would this time of wrath end how long is this is this fight going to go on of course this is what daniel wanted to know because as he had already gone through the vision of daniel chapter 2 with this image that had a head of gold 
chest of silver and the thighs of, or miniskirt of brass, the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And, and then you've got this rock coming down. He wanted to know when do these things fit because he also had his first vision, his own personal vision. Chapter 7, where you got these beasts coming up out of the sea. And, and it's interpreted for him by the angel that this is how they line up with the image of gold, silver, brass, etc. that you saw before. These line up. So he's wanting to know, okay, now that you've told me how these line up, Medo-Persia and now Greece. We're gone from the chest. Now we're down to the thighs. Uh, Greece. When, how long is that going to last? Because what you just showed me is really, really bad. This is violent. Because what he also talked about is the closure of church. This is a church closing. And if you look at historically what took place during the Greek empire, you'll see exactly what happened in Jerusalem. And it was gruesome. If you look at your notes on, on the back of the page, you, you see that rebels became wicked. And one of the signs is that there would be rebels. Well, you can't rebel against something you never believed in. So this means the believers rebelled and became wicked. So actual church leadership became wicked. And we have that historically in seeing that, well, what kicked this whole thing off is that the high priest was assassinated and another guy who wanted to be a high priest pays a bribe and becomes the high priest. And under that leadership, what happens in the church? Well, first of all, it becomes illegal for you to own or carry or hold in any way a portion of Scripture, the Torah. If you are caught having any Scripture in your possession, it's a death penalty for you. You would die. And that, this reminds us, does this remind us back of like the Dark Ages and the Walden Seas and all the people who would have copies of Scripture, you'd be burned on a stake or, or killed? Same thing during the Greek Empire. In fact, you were not allowed to go to church and to bring a sacrifice. The sacrifices were canceled. Now, who did this? Antiochus IV. He was that little horn that grew up out of one of those four horns. Antiochus IV, but we call him Antiochus IV Epiphanes, or Antiochus Epiphanes for short. He gave himself that last name. It's not actually part of his name. Epiphanes. Now, if you have an epiphany, of course, you think, well, I just got a great idea. Uh, you're inspired. Epiphanes means God manifests. This is the tangible presence of God. So he set himself up as God on earth. This is God manifest. I am Epiphanes. <laughs> His enemies, uh, being like we are today in the Bible lab, were very sarcastic, and they would pronounce it Epimenes. Epimenes, which is like saying, you're a complete idiot. Okay, so they'd call him Antiochus Epimenes. Um, what he did during that time he would take scripture, he would have it completely torn to pieces, thrown to the ground, and burned. And then, to make matters worse, about three and a half years into him doing this, he sets up an image to the god Zeus right in the Jewish temple. 
and demands that people worship Zeus. In fact, the statue that's erected in the temple, it said that it had the body of Zeus, but they carved the face of Antiochus because he would tell people that he was a descendant of Zeus, and that's why he was God in the flesh, Epiphanes. And uh, so right there in the temple, and this is a common practice, when the kingdoms would come in and they would uh, defeat a kingdom, they would go into the temples, they'd bring their own gods and place there because in their belief, their religious belief is, if your God was more powerful than mine, I wouldn't have captured all of your land in your temples. And so obviously my God is more powerful than your God. And so that's why you would set up your gods in the captured uh, domain's temple. And so here we have in this time, all the things that you read through, especially in verses 1 through 14, we're asking, what does this mean that the stars are cast down on the end of the daily sacrifices and all this? You can find in all the historical records, you can find this is what Antiochus Epiphanes did, and he did it for 2,300 days. Okay? 42 months is what he did. Raul. Um, the... Um the historical facts are, are there, and you, yeah. you lay them out. Mm, however, I think there is room for dissent in inter interpreting some... And there always is in the Bible lab. <laughs> so go ahead. For interpreting some... Uh, the, the way we read the Bible, yeah. or we personally understand. Uh, you earlier mentioned that the... Um, a, a verse that says that uh, this vision is for the times of the end. Yeah. And uh, apparently you identify those times, that time as, as this time that you're, you're referring to, the time of uh, Antiochus. Um, and you mentioned that, that God is, is giving this vision in a, uh, in a worldview of, um, I mean, within a, a, an understanding of cyclic time. Yes. I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And since <laughs> we can disagree, I suppose. Go for it. Um, because I don't think there's any way to understand any part of the book of Daniel as cyclical, as conveying the idea of time is cyclical. I, that I was not the understanding among the Jews. God does not have that, uh, that, uh, that uh, understanding of time. It is true that the ancients have that view, but God is not as confused as giving us a vision within yes. a cyclical, right. cyclical time. Exactly. And he is giving us the historical route right. of what things are going right. to happen. Right. So, um, can, it, can, can I just comment on that? Because, because you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct in, in what you're saying. God would not do that. Because he's proven over time, even though mankind's view of something is a certain way, he can still speak in there and not have to change what is real just to help the people understand, even though they're understanding something that's not real. So thank you for saying that, because it allows me a, a chance to, to clear something up. The people, especially the Babylonians, viewed the cyclical time. The reason why the phrase, and this is what commentators say, I didn't come up with this. Um, the reason why the phrase, especially whenever it gets to uh, God's kingdom, either that super rock, not formed by man's hand, whatever, um, that the phrase is repeated, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever and never end. 
um, is because, because they believed that life went through eras, different eras of, of time, that, okay, so although the kingdom of the Ancient of Days, according to chapter 7, or this rock in chapter 2, and now uh, here we have to say, where, where is he talking about? Um, the reason why he uses these terms will never end is to help people understand we're not cycling back. There's, uh, God's kingdom doesn't cycle back, and then we'll have to deal with this again. In fact, in Nahum, uh, that's why there's an important text in Nahum where it says, and his kingdom will never rear its ugly head again, talking about sin, um, is because the, even though the people believed that these kingdoms could rear back again, and, and, and that after God's kingdom, something else could happen, God is trying to speak into Daniel, into the Jews, into the Babylonians, to, and all the kingdoms to help them understand um, that although you see time as lapsing back around in, in cycles, that God's kingdom will never end, that, that this timeline will go on. You might as well draw a straight line with, with a beam of light because it's different from how you guys view. So you and I are on the same page. It's that the difference is I just want to make sure you and nobody else thinks that I'm saying God is trying to speak in cycles. What God is trying to do is help his people understand who have this view that, you know, okay, here's the next kingdom. What's going to be the next? And yeah, God may come in for a time, but when's that going to end? And so God's speaking into that. But I think that God is also um, um, giving us a a look at the the end, at the actual end. Why I say that? Because these prophecies correspond, I believe, with previous prophecies yes. in the same book. Daniel Absolutely. Daniel chapter 2 yes. and Daniel chapter 7. And yes. especially in chapter 2, God clearly says there is an end and there is a rock that exactly. is going to end that a, a, a heavenly um, kingdom yes. will be um, put here. Absolutely. And I think that throughout the book, when God, uh, prophecies re- and God refers to the end, yeah. he refers to his end. Yes, to that end. E- exactly. And this is a beautiful thing that God brings to us and, and why inspiration is so important is because although mankind's view is one way, God always breathes in what we call truth, which is actually uh, heaven's perspective of what reality really is. Um, I think the other thing that you brought up that I love is how they viewed prophecy. And this is why a lot of people get confused with Daniel and Revelation prophecies, because we tend to think chronologically, like, okay, he had this vision, so the next vision will be talking about a completely different time. It, it, it's, you, ha- you can e- more easily envision how they did prophecy in the Hebrew mindset. If you go back to, did any of you have the en- encyclopedias, like, uh, growing up as a kid, and in one of the encyclopedias, um, it had those see-through pages, those clear pages, and uh, the first one, it's like, it's the full body, it's got skin, it looks okay, it's not so scary, it's not Halloween-themed yet, Um, but you turn that clear page, and it's transparent, it's been printed on, but the next page has, oh my word, you're seeing the muscular structure, and now it's all the muscles, and they still left the eyeballs in, which is kind of creepy. And then you turn the page, and, and now it's the organs inside. And then you turn the page, and now it's the skeletal structure. And each page overlays exactly the body. It's the same thing, but as you turn a page, you get more and clearer 
deeper detail inside the structure of the body. You have to think as you read through Hebrew prophecy, you have to think like that. Okay, so we started with the image of Nebuchadnezzar, but when you turn the page and it's these beasts, they still overlay. And what you look for in the interpretation is how do these match up according to this vision? And so that's why on this study guide at the top of the the back of, of the page, I tried to do that in kind of a chart form for you to help you understand. Because in Daniel 2, we have the gold, silver, brass, iron, iron and clay, and super rock elements. And how do those overlay when we get to Daniel 7 with these crazy creatures coming up out of the water with this this unique lion and a bear-like beast and a leopard-like beast and then this monster you can't describe and then the horns on its head and then this ancient of days on, on the throne. How do they line up? And so we've lined them up, and if you look at the purple uh, column at the very bottom, you can see how they line up to the different eras, where the gold and the lion-like beast line up with Babylon. And the next one, the silver, the bear, and the ram line up with Media Persia. And the brass, leopard, and goat line up with Greece. Now here's our challenge. In chapter 8, does it talk about Rome? We've gone through all of chapter 8. Have you heard Rome yet? No. Has it talked about a mixed kingdom coming after Rome? No. Has it talked about a super rock or ancient of days or Christ's kingdom coming? That's the hard part, and that's where I really get myself in trouble if I say what I really feel. (laughs) With what we can see, and let's look again at verses... 18 and 19, when he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep, my face to the ground. He touched me, raised me to my feet. Verse 19, he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. This whole vision, this goat going after and, and tearing the church down, taking away sacrifices, taking everything down. What kingdom is that represented by? The goat represents Greece. This whole time of wrath is only focused on what's going to happen during the Greek period, correct? If we're being responsible with the text. So, he says, I will tell you what will happen later in time of wrath because the vision concerns, and this is where people get confused, because if you've ever heard someone translate a joke from Spanish to English or English to German or a different language, you get to the end of the joke and people say, and what's the punchline? <laughs> because something's always lost in translation. So we've had this 2,300 mornings and evenings thrown out. And this tells about the, you know, about the time of the end. The end of what? And this goes back to Raul, our conversation. They were looking at the eras. They weren't looking because they never perceived there's an end of time. In the Hebrew mindset, there is no end of time. There's just transference from one kingdom to the next. So the end of time, and there is no gymnastics here. There is no theological wordplay here. He's saying, how long will this last? He hears the time. 2300 mornings and evenings and then the temple will be reconsecrated and then 
after Daniel faints and is brought back to his feet, he says, look, I want you to understand, we just showed you this huge time of wrath. It's very troubling. You see at the very last verse, Daniel's so troubled by this because he sees what's going to happen to the church. And God's greatest concern here, the thing that God wants to communicate, is not, now here's the day, have everyone ready because this is when Jesus is coming. His concern is to tell Daniel during this time, look, as bad as it gets, as horrible as it is to shut down church, as horrible as it is for all of this to happen, this era has an end. And so this vision is to give the people of that time period hope that although it looks like you've lost your church completely, not for a year and a half of closure, it looks like you've lost your church because you can't even read the scripture without threat of death. You can't even do your daily sacrifices for personal forgiveness. This vision is given to tell people that aren't even born yet to hang on because even this time of wrath has an end. The reason why Daniel is told to seal this up is because it's not for Daniel. God gives a vision to Daniel at a time when there's someone like Daniel who will listen, who's open to God, to tell a group of people that are so rebellious and have lost their way so much, nobody goes to church. Nobody does a sacrifice. Nobody reads scripture. And it's into that time that God says, look, I'm going to speak now because I'm not sure anyone will hear me then. And I want you to write this down and seal it up because there are people at a time who feel like God doesn't care, that God has abandoned them, that God has forsaken them. And God gives this vision for the people at the end of the Greco period to say, God still cares. God still loves you. And what brings the end of this Greek rule? There's intervention, but it's not by human hands. Scripture tells us it's not by human hands. In other words, guys, relax. Although it seems like I don't care, although it seems like I'm not involved, I am. I knew this was coming. I shared with you this is coming. But I also shared with you, guess what? If you know at the beginning of this, if you know in this amount of time I'm going to take care of it, perhaps you can hold on today. So in looking at this, we can go all over the place with theological gymnastics. But if you just look at what does it mean in the first two levels, the first two lenses of the trifocals, what did it mean to Daniel? It meant to Daniel, and the reason why he was so sick is because guess what, Daniel? <laughs> It'll be almost 400 years before this happens. Those of you that raised your card today that said, Jesus is coming in my lifetime, you'd have to lower it and say, he's not coming for almost 400 years. But that make you sick. Made Daniel sick. But God had a message. He says, but you're the guy that has enough credibility that if you write it down now, four centuries from now, it will mean everything to a group of people who thinks that God has abandoned them. And I have to let them know I haven't abandoned them. That I still love them even though they've rebelled, even though it's the church leadership themselves 
who caused the Greeks to shut down church. I still love them. And even though people 2,000 years later will try to apply it to themselves and they don't know how long Jesus is coming, it's still a message to them too. Because in that layer of the trifocals, it says even at times when your church closes down and you wonder, where is God? God can say, don't worry. Because I am going to bring an end to this era too, not by human hands. But I'm going to come in the flesh and take you home. I can't wait for that day when Jesus comes and takes us home. And I know you can't either. That's why you're joining us here on this journey to get to know him better and to get to know his character. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a delight to go on this journey with you. And I just want to give you a special invitation. If you're ever in the Southern California area, we'd love to have you as a special guest right here in our community. So make sure you go to our website thebibleapp.com you'll see on the contact page that there's a place for you to actually make reservations and we would love to save you and whoever is with you a seat to come actively be part of this journey to research and develop the character of God in between now and then I just want to let you know we've got chapter 9 Daniel chapter 9 is coming up in episode 67 we're still in prophecy and one more layer. This layer is an amazing layer. I don't want you to miss it. So make sure you come back for our next episode as we continue to discover this God who not only wants to give you prophecy, not only wants to tell you more about what things are to come, but wants to let you know about his never-ending, infinite, loving character. So I can't wait to see you next episode. Until then. Keep looking up to our loving Savior. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.